Hey everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Optin, a series where we sit down with filmmakers just like you to discuss movies, filmmaking, surviving and thriving as a creative in the film industry today, serving you fresh tips and a fresh perspective. And I'm your host, Andrea Dondonville. Everyone knows filmmaking is a team sport. However, there are no rules to the size of that team. Does a bigger crew always mean better? And just how many people does it really take to make a feature film? For our very first podcast, we thought it would be only appropriate that we sat down to chat with someone who's very opinionated on that matter. One of our very own, Mr. Jason Mitcheltree. Not only is Jason my wonderful business partner, he is co-creative director of Origin Point, he is a wizard VFX artist, and he is the DP of the new feature film, Proximity. A meteorite with smoke trailing behind it appeared over the skies of Los Angeles yesterday. Isaac, where you been? You got a minute? I want to show you something. You're saying this is real. Are you okay? Believe me, right? Where have you been for the last few days? Yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, day before. I'm not making this up. This really happened to me. Okay. You've been gone from work all week. Did you have an encounter with an extraterrestrial being? It's different being on the other side of things. Putting stuff out there in the real world is, it's very, it's very humbling, but at the same time, it's, it's exciting. You just never know how people are going to go ahead and react, and uh, so far everybody's reacted really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely a scary, vulnerable thing, putting yourself out there. You know, you guys have been working on this project for, what, five, six years? It's, it's been a while. I would say it was probably about four to five years. That's pretty much the timeline, but we never got discouraged. It was always something we knew we were going to do. At the time, we looked at it as a, as a project that we could essentially do without a, a full-on budget. How did this story influence your style of cinematography? I think a lot of it came from how we wanted to show Isaac. For me personally, it was wanting to show him more isolated from everybody else, more cut off from everybody else, someone that didn't quite fit in. And using camera angles and lighting to kind of help show that and just kind of focus on him a bit more. When I talked to Eric, the director, it was a lot about contrast. With lighting-wise, we wanted to make sure it was it was clean, but there were areas we didn't really care if they were hidden, and we liked a lot of saturation. We kind of wanted to do a callback to earlier films in the 80s and the 90s. So one thing I really want to talk about is the approach to this project. Most features have anywhere from 25 to upwards of 500 people or more on set at any given time. This was a pretty bare bones crew. It was, you know, really small scale compared to most features. How many people did you have on set at any given time? At the, at the height of what we were doing, I want to say there was at least 20 and that would be the highest point. And then the lowest was three, including the director, Eric. It became this thing where a lot of that was due to traveling. We couldn't take the whole crew with us at certain locations. Down here in L.A., we were able to have 20 people, and the set flowed pretty quickly. And then once we started to go and shoot up in in Washington uh, State, or if we went down to Costa Rica, it was very bare-bones crew. And we still worked it out, but again, the... The thing I want to point out is the fact that a lot of that was not only just budgetary, but it was wanting to make sure we had more in front of the camera and just making sure that the movie looked as high quality as it could be. Do you feel like having a crew of that size really helped you creatively or, or hindered you? 
My idea of a smaller crew is maybe like 10 people. Uh, three people is pushing it. There's not enough time to wrangle people and then shoot at the same time. So that becomes very difficult. With a smaller crew, you can get through setups quicker. If you are doing 360 shooting, you don't need to worry about people being in your shot. You can literally move the whole production team behind where the camera's at. The bigger the wheel, the slower it turns. That being said, having a couple more people on set when we had those only those three people would have been a joy. That was what was so cool about this project is that it was obviously a real labor of love. Everybody really pitched in on this project and I was holding the boom mic yeah. and rolling sound, you know, like everybody was pitching in, which was, yeah. you know, makes filmmaking so fun. And it's one of those it's one of those things having a set like that. It's it you're not really worried necessarily about picking up the wrong thing and having a, uh, someone yell at you or or worrying if um you know you're doing the wrong thing and i feel like that kind of with that that notion in mind that kind of hinders you from moving quickly through the day because you are you know i i understand i understand the reason for that in the industry but on a set like this having people be able to do multitasking of jobs that just saves everybody time because it was such a skeleton crew did you approach it at all like a little bit more like a documentary filmmaker like for example when you guys went down to Costa Rica to shoot all those scenes did it feel a little bit like you were sort of shooting it docu style when we went down to Costa Rica it became more of a documentary style shoot because we wanted to go down there and make a small footprint i remember just carrying a bag of camera gear and even lens choices we only had two we had a wide and a medium and that was it no tripod we had a handheld unit that was super small that you could tear down into a bag very tiny footprint but yeah there was no lights uh, we used available daylight we used bounces uh, anything we could if we didn't like the scene we would move the scene we had a lot of tree cover so we had to like watch out for that we didn't even get a chance to go down there and scout really i think the primary uh, scout was done online using google maps and just seeing what the areas looked like yeah i mean we literally sent it was you james Eric, Heidi, Christian, Ryan, just six of you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you basically, as soon as you got down there, you kind of just would sort of roll with it. Like, even on the plane, you were shooting oh, yeah. Ryan on the plane. Like We didn't actually know he was terrified of small planes either, and we were rolling on the plane. We rolled on the boats. It's kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles, the movie. You were on a, we were in a car, we were rolling. We were, they were outside walking, we were rolling. Uh, we were on boats. Uh, rolling little planes, rolling. I mean, there was never a time where we weren't because, again, when you're down there, it's so beautiful down there. And that was like the main point of going down there was the fact that you could turn the camera 360 and there's your production value. You don't really need to worry about sets or anything like that. You're in the location. So it worked out well for us. But yeah, it was constant shooting. Rolling Stone, I quote, said... Proximity is shot, designed, and edited with a style and sophistication any Hollywood epic would envy. So, with that being said, would your approach or style be any different if you had a bigger budget or would it have stayed the same? Keeping that unit small and tight, you are able to put more of the financing in front of the camera. But what I would ask for is a couple extra days per location. I think that's a big thing. It's just more time, not necessarily more people. By having more time, I think one of the biggest parts on a shoot is towards the end of that 12-hour day, uh, people start getting tired, people start getting sluggish. And I think having, you know, trying to get people excited about a shot is very difficult when they're tired. And I understand that. I get that perfectly well because for the majority of the time, I'm exhausted too. And uh, being able to go ahead and tell the whole crew, hey guys, we're coming back tomorrow, uh, pick it up where we left off, that would be a joy to say. 
let's talk about your camera setup. Everybody's probably dying to know what you used to shoot this with. So yeah. let's talk about that. Camera setup, I think, was like a big thing for us. Uh, it was something that we wanted to go ahead and keep really small, really compact, and very easy to get around. That's not to say we didn't want to have multiple cameras. We used the AK Helium. We shot with Cook and Leica lenses. We just love the look of those lenses. And with the camera itself, you're able to capture high resolution. You can use it for medium shots, wide shots, everything in the one file itself. So proved to be very valuable for us, especially since we were lower on time at certain parts that we could do what we needed to get the shot. So I think that was a huge thing to have access to, to something like that. It wasn't just that one camera. We, we like to have a production camera, which was like our A-cam. We had another camera that was for more like Movi or Ronin 2 setup where we could go ahead and float that around. And then we may have swapped the production cam with the crane cam every now and then when we did that. But a lot of times it was just those two cameras getting multiple shots. They held up like workhorses. We didn't really have to do any real maintenance or anything to them. We set what we wanted and then shot. So they were a big benefit to us on set. We also had an extra epic on set that floated around into everybody's hands to capture BTS, which was really awesome. True, which, true. by the way, there's a really awesome behind-the-scenes feature that you can watch on the Blu-ray yep. disc, which comes out in July. Yep. So everybody definitely needs to check that out because this behind-the-scenes is pretty awesome. Like, literally everybody picks up the camera and is just shooting everything, yeah. capturing interviews. It's really fun. So we have all that, we have bloopers, we have everything on the Blu-ray coming out, so it should be a lot of fun. Obviously, with having a, a small budget and a small crew, did you ever have to get pretty crafty with some of your equipment and, and your gear? And uh, Were there any shitty rigs-worthy moments I gotta on say, set? I love shitty rigs, but for most of the rigs that we did, they were high-end. <laughs> there was only a couple times where we had to do stuff that, you know... And it's, it's something that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I love filmmaking so much. I know a lot of people give that site kind of a hard time, but it's true. I think whatever you can go ahead and do to make the shot work, I don't really care what it looks like off camera because no one else is going to know except you and it makes a better story in the end. Well, and, but it's really not about having like the fanciest tools on, on your project no, to, to no. make it better, right? I mean, no. And again, you can get away with a lot of stuff um, without having the highest quality gear. I mean, we did we did the, I think for our car shots, we did a lot of stuff with a uh, gated storage rack on the back of my, my car, or on the back of my truck. And then we had another tow hitch on the front that we slid it into so we could do tracking shots as well as follow shots. Uh, we basically had a Ronin uh, attached to the stabilizer on the front. And then we did a lot of the shots with that and remote controlled those for like the motorcycle scenes, but it wasn't something like a huge piece of equipment that we needed to mount where we had to have a car or we had to shut down the road. It wasn't anything like that. It's just what can we do to make it look the highest quality possible and get away with making it work. I think having those smaller rigs or the ingenuity just to like put all that together is important. In knowing that this project was so VFX heavy, how did that affect your choices? Yeah, I mean, we'd be sitting there on set and, you know, uh, like especially at the end with all the alien work and everything else, you'd have actors looking at the tip of a C-stand. Or it would be me, like when they turn around in the, in the film and see an alien, that's actually just me standing there. So it was hilarious just on set because it's just like, okay, well, that's just Jason. But really, no, we're trying to replace him with an alien. But I think with shots like that, with visual effects shots, you just need to know exactly what in your mind what you want and then allow yourself the 
time on set to do it. I think a lot of times people try to rush visual effects and if they're done poorly, it's usually because they didn't have enough time to shoot and really get the lighting right. Uh, make sure you have references when you're there. So make sure you know where the light's coming from. So if you do need to do anything kind of 3D work in post, you can mimic that same lighting and make that creature look like they're there. Talk about the train sequence in the movie. That was a pretty big scene, I big highlight. Trains, I love trains. So how? what was your approach to that whole scene? The trains we did a lot of scouting for, actually. Uh, Eric and I got a chance to go up to Washington, uh, Washington State, and they have a lot of old scenic trains that you can go ahead and ride around. I think the max speed, though, is around 15 to 20. I don't think they go 20 very much. We took a lot of the trains with you know passengers on them, and where they were enjoying the trip, we were you know taking sample photos and videos and things like that to see if it would work for our purposes. We had a couple people on the train. We had, a, again, I think a small crew of like three because we were in Washington at the time. It was, it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, it was very challenging because a part in the actual path of the train that we only had, a, I think, about three minutes of actual shoot time before we got out of the light that we wanted, out of the scenery that we wanted. And so we'd have to tell the conductor to stop and go back the other way. So with the two cars that we had, we literally flipped the scene each time we went back and forth. Uh, in order to get the, the right settings and the right light to make it look like they were going in a single direction the whole time. Um, so that was very challenging uh, because we only had one day to shoot this whole scene. And I remember trying to go ahead and shoot on the bottom of the train or put some cameras down or rig something on the side to get you know the wheels, get underneath. Uh, we had a, this whole setup of wanting to put them on top of the train running away from the AO androids and kind of all these big aspirations. Um, at the time, we, we just didn't have time, unfortunately. So we got what we needed inside the train. And when we brought it back to the cutting room, it was something where we were kind of looking at it, thinking, do we have what we wanted to make this scene work? We came up with the whole POV of showing people go up on the roof and thought that that would work since we couldn't actually get up on the top of the train to shoot. And I thought it worked out well. We were able to see the whole scene through the eyes of, a, of an android, which was fun. Any big uh, challenges during this project? The challenge is always time. It's always the thing that's going to... You always want more time. Yeah, I mean, especially with DPs. You're always, they're always just going to want as much time in the world. Uh, unfortunately, that's never the way it happens or works. The hardship is just making people um, excited about the next shot when it's been a long day. It's very difficult to keep that train going. And how many pages did you guys shoot in one day at one point up in Washington? Oh God, yeah, that was that was a crazy day. We uh, I think shot 13 pages actually. So it was that's it, a lot of pages was, in one day. I shout out again to McLean and Eric. Uh, we were running a little bit behind on the schedule uh, because we were doing other jobs besides those three jobs. Uh, besides ACing, DPing, and directing, it was like trying to make sure everybody had the right clothes to wear, the catering, all that stuff. And again, that's why having a little bit of a bigger a crew is definitely necessary. So um, you aren't wearing as many hats. Yeah, exactly. So we were wearing so many hats that just at the end of the day, it was like, okay, you pick up that camera, I'll pick up this camera. We both know the shot list and just get coverage. And it's, it's a, it's, it was a good thing that we did because we were able to get wide shots, we were able to get close-ups, whatever we needed. Uh, and then we were able to even get like shots, dolly shots, like standing on top of a van and then getting like a cool crane shot, basically doing just that. So, um, yeah, I think we covered a lot, a lot of shots in a short amount of time just because we had like two units in the same unit, which was interesting. Um, but I think that again, anything to make it work, you know, you got only that day. 
So Jason, just to wrap this up for our listeners, can you share some of your personal tips and advice for future filmmakers who want to get into the industry and maybe take that leap into shooting their first feature? I would say not to let money, and I know it's a hard thing, I would say not to let money hinder you. A lot of people don't do something because they're like, oh, I don't have enough money for that. One day I might get money for that. I think it's important to go ahead and say, if it's too much money, leave that be your second thing you do. So if it's something that's like Star Wars or something as big as you can imagine, let that be the second or third thing you do and not let it get you down. Pick something that's going to give you a good character, a good arc, something that's going to be not as expensive. Uh, Right now with sci-fi, it's very hard to accomplish. Um, You can do a drama, comedy, anything like that, as long as it has a solid character and plot. Um, Don't let the money thing turn you away. Uh, When we first started this, it was more or less us saying we could do this every weekend. We don't need money. Uh, We really want money. Obviously, everybody wants money because they can just go out and shoot the whole thing, um, which we were lucky enough to receive. But uh, at the same time, I feel like we went into it saying, if we can't do that, we're going to shoot this every weekend. We'll shoot a scene every weekend until we have a feature that we could put together. It was just something where it was like, we were going to do this no matter what. So that was like a big thing for us that I would recommend to anybody is to just keep going. Don't worry about the money and find ways to, to make something work. A feature length, after all, is, is the time, but it also is the look. Um, it's, it's making sure that you shoot things in a way that, that work. So if you watch a lot of old movies, just take notes on shots that really stick out to you, things that are really important to you. Um, I recommend you know using depth, uh, making that something that's really important. Like put things in the foreground, make things in the background interesting to look at, and have your subject in the middle. And then for any other filmmaker, the only other thing I would say really is learn, learn any kind of compositing or editing as well, especially if they're starting filmmakers, that if you can do something else besides just shoot, a lot of people can shoot, but if you can know how to composite, if you know how to edit, you start seeing things differently. You can wow a lot of people with the smallest things because you're able to see them before anybody else does. That's great advice. I mean, sort of learning the process backwards, right? Yeah. You know, really understanding like the, the end process before the beginning process. Exactly. Because if you're an editor, for instance, you can literally see how this whole movie is going to cut together before you shoot everything. So you can say, okay, well, that shot I won't need. So you spend less time doing that shot. It's less money you have to spend. It's very, it's very important to be able to do that. Understanding the entire process and... And not letting money get in the way, like you said. Don't you know, let it just get in your way. start somewhere. Yep. Anywhere. And just, again, even if it's shooting one scene. We started with one scene one like scene. five years ago one and scene. then yep. just kept going. That's all it was. And this this whole thing started from a, a, an idea, it went into a short, and then we just said, okay, well, maybe we can do a Kickstarter. We did the Kickstarter route. Uh, luckily, we found some people there I, I recommended to people. Uh, make your Kickstarter something that's impressive for people to look at. Because if they see how much you pour into that, they'll see how much, if they give you this month, this amount of money, how much you're going to actually do with that. So it's very key to, to make that something that's impressive. Because people will see that. I think a lot of financiers look at that stuff. And, uh, yeah, again, that's that's the route you can take at the same time in your back of your head. Say, if I had to do this just by myself, I can't. Well, there you have it, guys. Some fresh tips from a DP and his experience on his very first feature-length film. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at OriginPoint.com.
www.filmmakerdiary.io and tune in next month as we sit down and catch up with another filmmaker. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at originpoint.io and tune in next month as we sit down and catch up with another filmmaker. I'm Andrea Dondonville and that's a wrap.